Man, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of, out of what God has given to us. It's all from him. It's all for him. Uh, today we're talking about baptism, and we're talking about baptism for two reasons. One of the reasons is because next Sunday we're going to be at our new building having one big combined everybody together service outside because we're not legally allowed to be inside yet, uh, but outside because it's going to be uh, 72 degrees and absolutely perfect. I'm excited for it, and part of that service, we're going to have baptism. So if you're here and you've been a Christian for three minutes or three decades and you've never been baptized, next Sunday uh, could be your time. And after service today, we've got uh, some people who can walk you through getting one million percent prepared. I'm excited for that. So if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for three months, three minutes, or three decades, and you've never been baptized, we want to get you locked and loaded uh, for next Sunday for outdoor service at the new building, 11 a.m., Awesome. Second reason why we're talking about baptism is because all of us, regardless of where you are on your faith journey, regardless of if you're spiritual or not, all of us are less likely, think about this, less likely to pursue things that we don't understand. We are less likely to pursue things that we do not understand. Think about it. You go to an ethnic restaurant or a restaurant that doesn't have Mick at the front of it uh, or doesn't have the menu on the wall behind the cash register, like one of those actual like, menus that you sit down and you hold the menu in front of you and people come to you and take your order. If you go to an ethnic restaurant, what do they have next to all of the titles of the unpronounceable food? They have pictures. They have pictures of what the food actually looks like because all of us are less likely to pursue things that we don't understand. So it could be something that you have no clue actually how to say it, but it looks really good. So what you do is you hold up the menu and you tell the waiter, I want this. And so they bring you exactly that because it looks good. You understand it. If it was only the titles, you would just get water and maybe some chips and like peace out at the end of it. But all of us, we pursue things we understand and we are less likely to pursue things we don't understand. That's why we're talking about baptism today. Baptism is something that's foundation that's built into our Christian faith from, a very, uh, from, the, from the very beginning of our Christian faith, starting with Jesus. It's built in at that point, and it's something that we continue to celebrate today as a church. And so what we want to do is we want to take, take off like all of the blinders, all the disguises, everything off of baptism and explain what it is. Again, after service today, uh, Pastor Greg is going to take anyone who is interested in baptism next week. He'll take you through an easy, pain-free process of how to prepare your salvation story for baptism next week. In the meantime, what we're going to do is totally explain and make crystal clear what baptism is. Because there might have been a point in your relational life where you stopped understanding stuff and so you backed out of a relationship. Or if something in work where you stopped understanding what was going on and all of a sudden that became less influential in your life. Or maybe even in your journey as somebody who is religious, as somebody who follows Jesus, you stopped understanding things and then started backing away from that. What we want to do is we're going to pull back any amount of misunderstanding around baptism so that as as a church, all of us, whether you've been a Christian for three minutes or three decades and never been baptized, we can all take a step forward uh, toward baptism in this. So what it is, is baptism is a sign that points to bigger things. All signs, regardless of if it's about baptism or it's about Hollywood or whatever, all signs point to something bigger than themselves. This is the building yesterday. Uh, there's a bunch of us who were working on it. Some people uh, who decided, I'm not going to stop working just so you can take a picture. I will keep working. Uh, but that's our sign at the new building. It's a very crude sign because it's the frame, and then we wrapped a banner around the frame and then bolted the banner uh, into the wall. So we're, we're making a sign where there is no sign. 
And that sign there is, is, it is what it is. But it represents so much more. Baptism is a sign that represents so much more. That sign right there is a sign that represents so much more. It represents the place that we're going to move into at some point this year. It represents the place where people that we don't even know yet are going to meet Jesus in our new building. Where life groups are going to happen in our new building because we can be there Sunday to Saturday like forever as long as we want. And people are going to grow in their faith in this place. It's a place where people are going to learn their spiritual gifts and they're going to dive into ministry. Where pastors are going to be trained up and sent out. All in this place. Does that exist in the sign? No, but the sign points to that. Where people that we don't even yet know, or maybe we do know, and they're over in kids' church right now, are going to grow in their love for God and their ability to do ministry and go out and change their world. It's a sign that points to all that. And baptism is the same. Baptism is a sign that points to something huge. Baptism is a sign of the gospel. It's a sign of the gospel, which is the good news that God saves us from our sins. Baptism is only significant because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus in our place because of our sin, because he loves us. Apart from those things, baptism has no significance. It's somebody going swimming. So if you've never seen a baptism the way that we do it here, is we've got this metal tank. It sits on a little wooden stand, and the person sits down. We ask them, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? At that point, they say yes. And so we put them into the water, and after about six or seven minutes, just kidding, we put them into the water, and then in one motion, we bring them back out of the water. What it does is it's a symbol of Jesus, uh, what he did for us. We say that baptism is a sign of the gospel. What's the gospel other than good music? Uh, it's the idea that before you ever did anything good in your life, like very beginning, we're talking like the moment of conception, God looked at you, and God said, I love that person. But, but they haven't done anything good yet. They've done nothing to deserve God's love. And God says, doesn't matter. I love that person. And that love does not change from the moment of conception until the day that we die. God looks at you today, whether or not you've had a good week, and God says, I love them. They are my son. They are my daughter. I love them. And within that love that never changes, never goes up, never goes down, God is also accurate and understanding in his love for us. And he knows that part of his love for us means dealing with the separation that we bring into that relationship. Because we bring separation between us and God through this thing that the Bible calls sin. It's treating ourselves, treating God, treating other people less than the way that God created them to be treated. And so when we sin against ourselves, against God, against another person, I'm president of this club just in case you're wondering if I'm throwing stones. When I sin, when we sin, we separate ourselves either from within ourselves to create kind of internal stuff, separate ourselves relationally from other people, or separate ourselves between us and God. There's separation there that happens. Not because God doesn't love us, because perfect God cannot be in the presence of sinful people like us. So there's a dilemma, there's separation. And what God did that was so incredible that causes Christians to rejoice for 2,000 years is that God took on skin, that God became like us. He was born as a human, 100% God, but also 100% human. And what Jesus did that was so foundational, that was so special for us as Christians, that makes this human life sacred to us, was that he lived as a perfect substitute for you and me. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, but never could ever measure up to, even for a minute. God lived, through Jesus, a perfect life. So that when Jesus died on the cross for us to pay the penalty of our separation from God, God said, this is a perfect vessel. This is something that's worthy of me paying attention to, worthy of being in presence of me. 
God took all sin for all humanity for all time and put it on the person of Jesus as our substitute. And Jesus died the death that we deserve for a lifetime of sinning against God. And the flip side of that, the exchange of that, the trade of that, is that we get a lifetime of perfect relationship with God that Jesus achieved. He said, I'll take your sin, I'll take your separation, I'll take your depression, I'll take your doubt, I'll take everywhere that you fall apart, and you get my perfect relationship with God the Father. This is where the exchange happens, the great exchange as, as Bible people call it. And the, the point in all of this is that we make a decision about how this is going to affect our lives. Are we going to say, okay, Jesus, you've done everything necessary for me to have a relationship with God. You've got all authority over everything. You're the only one who can tell me how to live. So God, I'm getting off the throne of my life. I'm putting you on the throne of my life. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. Or are we going to say, you know what? You're a good teacher. You say a lot of good things. Apparently you're a good homeboy, but I'm going to keep doing life my own way. And so baptism is a sign of the gospel. It's that God loves us, is that sin separates us, is that Jesus rescues us, and we make a decision about how that affects our lives. And so baptism points to that. Romans 6.4 is uh, the verse that I tie all the baptism stuff to in my head. I want one verse uh, to nail on. And so Romans 6.4 says this. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. This idea of us going into the water, our old life. We no longer have to be ashamed about it before because it is dead with Jesus. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we're being brought back out of the water, Now we may also live new lives. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the fact that Jesus saw our separation, that there's no secrets from him, that he sees where we are and what we had made of our own lives. And he says, I'm going to forgive all of that and I'm going to bring you into new life. Just as a person is took into the water and then brought back out of the water, that's a picture of what I'm going to do with your life. And so in baptism, we're saying that this, everything that Jesus did, his death for sin, that was for my sin. His resurrection from the dead, walking out of his own grave, kicking over the stone himself, and triumphing over death, that was me too, but only I didn't do it. Jesus did it for me. I was headed to hell, and Jesus changed that. That's what baptism says. That's a picture of the gospel that God loves us, sin separates us, Jesus rescues us, and we decide to say yes to that and follow that. Secondly, baptism is a sign of personal faith. For all of us, this is part of the Christian starter kit, is that for us to become Christians, we say, all right, I'm a Christian. We ask Jesus into our life to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us, to clean everything out. You know that picture of being down in the water, our old life is dead, and being raised up to new life? That's what the Bible calls that, is making disciples. We become a disciple of Jesus. We become a follower of Jesus. Jesus does things, we're going to do things. Jesus is nice to people, we're going to be nice to people. And we don't do it just to be nice, we do it because Jesus is our new life. He tells us how to live, and so we follow Jesus. One of the guys who's, who's following Jesus, writing down stuff that he said, he records Jesus' last moments with his people after he's risen from the dead. He says this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And pause it right there. I've been given all authority. So he's saying, if there's anyone in the world who can tell you how to live, it's me. Because I said I was going to die for the world's sin. I said I was going to rise three days later. I was going to walk out of my own grave. And then I pulled it off. So out of the ultimate calling your shot, Jesus wins. Because he predicts his own death and his own resurrection. So in all of that, all authority that I have now, I'm going to tell you this one thing. Go make disciples. 
For us, we do that in so many ways. We, we want our lives to be uh, a conduit of God's blessing, a conduit of things that make disciples. If you're a parent, your job is to make disciples out of your children. And as they grow up, they don't just learn how to do algebra well. They learn how to follow Jesus well because you're going to model that for them as their mom and as their dad. So all authority, that means we do what he says, make disciples. That means we're raising up people behind us, whether it's our kids, whether it's our parents, whether it's the people we work with, our neighbors, we're going to make disciples of all nations. And then what's the next thing? Baptizing them. This is the mark that we stand with Jesus. The next thing is teaching them. Okay, Christians, churches forever, everywhere are always teaching people, always encourage people to do this. And so if we take teaching out of the church, we look at that and say, that's a useless church. That's tied with baptism. In fact, that's secondary to baptism. This is part of us following Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for three minutes or three decades, there's a point where we say yes to Jesus. We make a public stand. Uh, this is what Jesus did for me, and we do that through baptism. It's our public stand identifying ourselves with Jesus. And there are two big rocks that help me think through how this works in the church and how this works in individual lives. The first one is that idea. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That means that we baptize disciples. It means we don't baptize non-Christians. For us to get baptized, you're, you're sitting in the tank. The person says, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And you say, yes. Because it's a discipleship moment. It's something that we do once people are Christians. It means we also wait until they can make the decision to actually say and mean it with their words uh, as adults or as people who are out of junior high that I am making the decision to get baptized. If you were here and you were baptized as an infant, it was a decision that was made by people who love you and want the best for you. And so believer's baptism, what we call it, where you are making the decision to walk into the tank, to sit down, where somebody is asking you to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are making the decision to say yes. It's a continuation of the baptism that that was decided for you by people who love you and want the best for you. Maybe your parents were the ones who were behind it. But it's your point now to say, this is what was begun for me, but now I am making the individual decision as somebody who's in charge of my own life, but now Jesus is, that I'm going to get baptized. Baptism is a sign of personal faith, not somebody else's faith. We, bap- or we baptize people who are out of junior high, and we dedicate kids here. We've had one baby dedication since uh, me and Pastor Tim and a lot of you came over from main campus. And so we had the mom and the dad up here and, the, and the, their little daughter. And we asked them, is it up to your best ability? Are you going to raise your daughter to love and follow Jesus? And they said, yes. That's our, our, de- our desire to dedicate kids as they follow Jesus for their whole life. And for us with baptism, baptism we baptize people who make the decision, I'm going to follow God with my life. If you were baptized as an infant and it's been nothing since then, I encourage you to get baptized again once you're out of eighth grade. Therefore, because you've grown up, you've got your head around you, you can make the decision, I'm following Jesus and I'm going to submit to baptism. Throughout the New Testament, that's the pattern of how it is. It's men and women making the decision that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to follow Jesus through baptism. It also means that there are things in our lives that need to get squared away for us to live as representations of who Jesus is in our lives. Okay, if we're disciples, if we're following Jesus, we should actually be following Jesus in every area of our life. And so for the early church, it was, 
it was incomprehensible that they would be following people or baptizing people who weren't following Jesus in every area. And so there's a list of things that, that pop up in our society and pop up sometimes in our own lives that are eliminators for baptism, or at least, at least it's a brake pedal for baptism. In Galatians 5.20, it says this. This is Galatians 5.20. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. It's sexual immorality, it's impurity, it's lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, we read this list. I read this list, and I see, like, I don't know, all the things uh, that, that could disqualify me from following Jesus. The idea isn't perfection. The idea is attitude. And I want to give you an image to, like, shape this around your head, okay? Imagine with me that there was a Bible verse that said, thou shalt, because every single made-up Bible verse starts with thou shalt, thou shalt not lose any hair. Thou shalt not lose any hair. Every day when you put on a hoodie or brush your hair or even like stand over your sink, what happens at the end? After a while, or curl your hair, there's going to be some hair in the sink. So right by that, if the Bible verse, if there's a regular reoccurring theme of thou shalt not lose any hair throughout the Bible, all of us are disqualified because all of us lose hair at some point. That's part of having a pulse. With these things in here, there's going to be in all of our lives selfish ambition, right? Like you say you're a Christian, you can never be selfish ever again. If you say you can do that, you are a liar, which is also in here somewhere. You can't envy That means you're off social media forever. There's a difference here between sometimes some hair falls in the sink as we put on a hoodie or as we brush our hair, or the guy who has a plan every week of how he's going to shave his head at least three times. Okay? Thou shalt not lose any hair doesn't apply to me. I saw some pictures of myself reading seven years ago and thought, this is not that cool. It's all gone. In fact, I'm going beyond just once shaving it. I'm shaving it every, like, three times a week for the last seven years. Beyond that, I have a specific shaving cream that I use because it's cheap and effective. So I'm using my money to bring in my ability to sin. Beyond that, again, I have Dollar Shave Club, which sends me razors every month so I can continue to live in sin, in rebellion, against this made-up verse, thou shalt not lose hair. Is there a difference between the guy who funds his money to give himself a no hair and the person who sometimes brushes their hair and every once in a while something falls into the brush or into the sink? This is what we're talking about with baptism. It's not saying you can never sin again, like with the hair brushing thing. It's the if there is a pattern of unrepentant, you're not going to change the Bible can be crystal clear around things, and you say, it doesn't apply to me. Rebellion to God in your life. If that's where it is, then baptism is an opportunity for us to bring more of our life in surrender to God. And the best part about this is Jesus is going to be faithful to talk to us. Uh, if there's an area where we need to measure up, an area where we need to cut things out and, and follow God in fresh obedience. And, and as you meet with Pastor Greg and his team, and they're going to take a minute and say, okay, Jesus, we want you to speak to us. And if there's anything going on in this person's life uh, that, that should probably pause baptism, we want to know. And you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to come in like a shepherd, not like a butcher who's going to punish you. But he's going to say, hey, here's one thing that we want to take care of before you get baptized. We're trusting Jesus with our salvation. We can also trust Jesus to tell us what we need to hear and and how to lead us uh, into the life that he has for us as Christians, especially around the area of baptism, something that's important to him. 
So the first big rock is we baptize disciples. And again, if you're baptized as, as an infant or if you were baptized as a kid where you were too young to really understand what you're saying, I encourage you to get baptized again. Uh, and as the service ends, Pastor Greg will be right over here and he can walk you through a process of getting all that locked and loaded with some really, really loving, nice people. So we baptize disciples. Uh, second thing is we baptize into the local church. This is identification with the church. And it's really easy nowadays to say, you know what, I love Jesus. He does lots of good stuff. He's the Savior. Uh, he says lots of really meaningful and tweetable phrases, but I really don't like the church. Okay, let's pause that right there. I don't like organized religion. I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own on the golf course. If we were in favor of that, we would never see a lot of you ever again. You would have church with your, uh, with your driver. Jesus talks about the church as his bride. It's his wife. He talks about us as his children. That means if we say that, if we say I want to get baptized, but I don't want to do anything with the church, we're picking on Jesus' wife and his kids. All right? I haven't been in a fight in a really, really long time, but if you come to me and start picking on my wife and my kids, I'm taking up a new hobby. All right? Fighting you. We baptize into the local church because it's Jesus' bride. It's Jesus' kids. That's us. And we do it as a way of, of agreeing as a church. This is the life that I used to have. I, was di- I, dead and was, I died and was buried with Jesus in baptism, and I'm raised to a new life along with every other Jesus follower in here. And baptism is a sign of personal faith that we bring into the church. We're trusting God to save us from sin, save us from death, save us from hell. We can also trust God that baptism is something that belongs in the local church. And lastly, because up to this point, this sounds like a lot of work. Baptism is a sign of love-based obedience. I want to take us to Jesus' baptism. This is Matthew 3, 13 to 15. This is where we get to see God's love for people who say yes to baptism and also God's love for everybody. But this is where we see it displayed. Matthew 3, 13 to 15. And Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized with John, baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done for he must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. Like, doesn't this sound like overkill? Like Jesus tells him, we have to do this because we need to do everything that God requires of us. This is us saying yes to baptism. I'm going to do it even if it feels awkward to stand in front of people and, and share one to two minutes about what goes on in my life. I'm going to do it even if I'm nervous about public speaking. I'm going to do it even, even if whatever. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But we, be, we get to see God's heart right after this. After the, I'm just going to press through this. I'm just going to white knuckle it. God jumps in. So Jesus is baptized, verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. That's the way that God looks at Jesus, which is a given, but that's also the way that God looks at you and me. When we say yes to following Jesus in love-based obedience, our obedience brings glory to God the Father. And so God looks down at this situation and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, someone who brings me great joy. And the thing that I love about this, the thing that I want everyone to see today, is you know how many miracles Jesus had done in his life up to this point when he comes out of the water after being baptized? Zero. 
You know how many lives Jesus had restored up to this point and how many people that were kicked to the side of society and Jesus brought them back in and Jesus gave them an identity and a family and restored everything? Zero. You know how many sins Jesus had paid for for you and me, all the brokenness that we've brought into our own lives and the people around us? Zero. And God looks at him in his step of obedience and God says, this is my son. I love this guy. And he brings great glory to me. He brings great joy to me. God is blessed by Jesus' obedience and God is blessed by our obedience as we step out and say yes to following God in everything and also especially in baptism. If you're here and you've been a follower of Jesus for, again, three minutes or three decades and you've never been baptized, I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you to get baptized today or to to start the process today to get baptized next week or the two weeks after. If you're baptized as an infant and now you've made the decision uh, that you follow Jesus, that you're a disciple, that you're a Jesus follower, I encourage you to get baptized, start the process today and get baptized at a Sunday in the remainder of the month. If you're baptized when you were a young kid, too young to really understand it as you sit and think now, I encourage you to start the process today and get baptized later this month. This is the same God who's calling us to get baptized as this who saw us in our place of separation and looking at us with eyes and a heart full of love sends Jesus into our world to take on our sin, to take on our separation, to take on our brokenness so we could take on the perfect relationship that God has with Jesus. And that's extended to us and celebrated through baptism. Let's stand and let's pray.